All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. Good to see you all. Look forward to continuing to see more and more folks coming out for our live services. And uh, for those of you that are on live stream, we want to welcome you and also uh, encourage you to come on out physically when you uh, feel that that would be appropriate. Uh, just want to uh, read for you a just a quick portion of scripture. Uh, that relates to the purpose of our gathering, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. The one announcement that we want to make is just to be watching the church emails to find out when our Sunday school program is going to begin, uh, just kind of working through the process with that. So be patient with us as we uh, sense when it's going to be the right time to uh, begin that program again. Okay? So Ephesians 5 says this. It says, do not be drunk with wine because... That is dissipation, or it leads to ruin. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music in your hearts to the Lord. So this morning as we gather, each Sunday morning as we gather, one of the things that is just a unique part of our experience is that we sing songs together. And the thing that's interesting to me is, I don't know of... Any other gathering in our culture where people get together to sing out loud together? Okay, it's interesting, isn't it? That when you go to concerts, I mean, if you know a song, you'll join in. But that's not the typical experience. But when we as the church gather, one of the things that we anticipate doing is singing together. And in his wisdom, God has given us this gift by which we communicate not only to him, but this text says that we sing to one another. Okay, now, it would be awkward if we said, hey, this morning when you're singing, turn around and look at the people sitting behind you, right? That would be, that'd be odd, right? But there's a sense in which, and we would not ask you to do that, but there's a sense in which as we sing, we are proclaiming truth that we hold dear together. And there is a beauty, this text says, by the Spirit, that as we sing those truths, they become clearer and more relevant to our personal experience in Christ. So as we sing this morning, can I just encourage you to be mindful of the fact that I don't do this in any other setting in my life, but I do it here and I love it in the church. Because we are singing truth about Christ that is powerful and that has changed us forever. Okay? So keep that in mind as we sing. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, as we come this morning, we are grateful for the gathering of your church. And we look forward, God, to getting through this season of uh, difficulty with COVID and all that it has uh, done all that it has affected physically and relationally. So Lord, we pray for healing for those that have been battling this disease, for those that right now uh, are battling this in our community. We pray for favor for them and for deliverance from the effects of this disease. Uh, Lord, we also pray that you would grant us the gift of unity together as your church, that as that fades, that we would... Embrace in a fresh and new way the value of coming together and singing together in our hearts to you. 
Lord, we love you, and as we sing your praises, as we sing truth about you, there is something deeply encouraging about that. And I pray that that will be experienced by your church today. Uh, Lord, we are mindful of some of the rather serious needs that are present within our church family. Uh, I think of our friend Tom Camella and the extended season of struggle that he's been in. Father, I, I just pray for a miracle that you would... Uh, relieve him of the uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome that he has been wrestling with. I know the COVID's gone and the pneumonia's gone, but this uh, abiding uh, battle with ARDS has been very serious. And so, Father, this morning, we just simply pray in the name of Jesus that you would grant him freedom physically from that and that you would raise him up for his dear wife, Karen, favor for the extended family. God, just Pour your blessing over them, peace over them as they walk through this season. For Dave and Patty, as they go in tomorrow for uh, Dave finding out what the future is for this heart surgery, valve replacement, uh, they have a lot on their plate, Lord. And we pray that your favor over them together as a couple, and particularly over Dave, that there would be a touch from your healing hand in his life. For Kim Jones, as she walks through this season of grief, having lost her mom, uh, God, just favor on her and uh, just thank you that her mom knew you and loved you and that she has really precious memories and precious hope in Christ. Uh, for Terry, as he uh, walks through the loss of his brother, uh, we pray for him and we lift up the Kelly family. Again, Father, we just continue to ask simply for healing for Diana. That is just the very simple request that we bring for her and that in this season you would multiply the usefulness of her life for your glory. Now bless Lord as we join our hearts together, as we sing, let us do it in the spirit uh, with just a, a, a loving grasp of the truth that we proclaim together. Exalt yourself in us and through us this morning we pray in Jesus name and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship together.
Sting. Sing it out. Oh, hell, where is your victory? And oh, church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. Singing, oh, death, where is your sting?
What deep in wounds? What deep in wounds has saved our souls? What blood that washed our sins of old? What precious hands have ransomed men and brought us to Himself again? What hope is in our heavenly home where we will bow at a Father's throne and walk with Him on streets of gold and kiss the Christ we long to hold? Oh, praise the Lamb for sinners slain who rode with blood our eternal praise. Let the nations of the earth proclaim Hallelujah! Oh, praise the name of Jesus, our song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. King, hallelujah, his glory is the air we breathe, hallelujah, sing that again, behold the city of the King, hallelujah, his glory is the air we breathe, hallelujah, A song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. A song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. to the 
my salvation where your love poured out over me now my soul cries out hallelujah praise and honor unto thee sent of heaven God's own son to purchase and redeem thank you Lord and reconcile precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Of sin has no hold on me, whom the sun sets free. See that to him. say praise and honor unto thee. God, thank you for the truths and the songs that we just sung this morning and the immensity of what you've done for each one of us in Christ in bringing us to yourself, nothing of ourselves, but all through you. 
to bring glory and honor to you. Father, just uh, I ask that you would bless, uh, bless Pastor Doug this morning as he brings a message. Prick our hearts afresh, Father, to um, show us where we can honor you more and be better uh, imitators of your son. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated. Good to have you here. Yes, yes. So uh, you're dismissed at this time for junior church, if that's your age category. Um, that'd be great. Well, good to have everyone. I was going to say braving it through the snow, but it's not been as bad as they said. You, you, you get these reports and you think like, man, we're going to get 10. Now, my sister-in-law living in Boston, they had two feet of snow. So that's a story. This really isn't so much. Speaking of snow, I'm assuming you've had my experience um, going out and shoveling, almost falling several times. Like, it's not just me, is it? And I don't think it's just the boots I'm wearing. I, I've learned when it comes to shoveling that I do everything gingerly on the, on the ice now, you know, because I'm really cautious of what can happen. Problem is, when I was a younger man, that wasn't the case so much. And with my kids, forget it. And you know, you've been in situations with your children, or perhaps you when you were younger, you tell your wife, I'll be okay. And just like that, you're, you're on your rear end, you know? And right, have we, have we not all had those experiences? Hopefully you didn't have one yesterday. Um, I, I, I didn't, I was kind of careful. But what we, what we learn is it's important to walk in a way where you're really careful based on what's going on around you, right? In this case, the ice. We've kind of learned this at, at a deeper level over the last two years. How do you live with this insidious virus that I don't see, but it affects all kinds of people around me? And so governmental systems and families and churches and business, businesses are all trying to make decisions to live carefully based on an enemy that they can't even quite always see, except under a microscope. Does that make sense? And I couldn't help but thinking about that as we come, come to the passage we're looking at today in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. It's a short passage. Doesn't mean the message will be short. I'm just saying it's a short passage, okay? No, no promises at this point, but we'll see what happens. It's a packed passage, though. It's a wonderful passage. And, and where he starts out is this. I just want to read the beginning for you and then make, make a comment that kind of launches into the message itself. Starts out by saying, be very careful then how you live. Literally, some of your translations may say how you walk, because it's the word walk that we, you know, is often translated live. And that idea of watching how you walk, your walk, has been pervasive from Ephesians 4, verse 1 on, hasn't it? I mean, last week we talked about walk in love and, 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 and walk in purity and all that, all kind of good stuff. So he's still working off that. And he says, look, I want you to be careful. Just like there's ice in the snow, just like there's this virus thing that runs. I want you to be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And here's the reason. Because the days are evil. 
not the only time in Ephesians where Paul will talk about the fact that the days are evil. And, and, and what he's referring to is, and, and, and it, it's, it's the power of the gospel. At one level, it's true in the world in which we live. We live in a, we live in a world that is counter God, right? Which is going one direction as we're trying to go the other. And so you can just look at the age in which we live and you can say it's an evil age. Now, Galatians will tell us that God has come to, to, to deliver us out of that age. And he's already begun something in our life that is a foretaste of what is to come, right? But we still live in this world. Here's what's really important to me. You say, well, you know, I look at the world system around me and there's a lot of stuff that just is counter God. It's non-God. It's against God. It, it just ignores God. That's absolutely true. But where does that whole thing generate? When you come over to Ephesians chapter 6, and he says, look, I want you to stand against all of the schemes of the devil so that you'll be ready for the day of evil. What he means is we live in a world which is counter God, but it's just not like we don't, we don't at the end of the day fight against flesh and blood, do we? At the core, we fight, we fight against an enemy like a virus, which I can't see. And it permeates everything. And he says, it's an evil age. And Satan is all about using world systems and individuals, perhaps in ways that they don't even intend all the time, to make a statement against God. And he says, think Biner. When you're living life, there's always ice there. So be careful how you walk. That virus, that spiritual virus, it's like visa. It's everywhere. You see? And so his overarching thought in this passage is, be careful how you walk. We teach our children that song. Oh, be, I won't sing it, but oh, be careful. You'd love me to try to sing it, wouldn't you? But I, I won't. Okay. But be careful, little feet, where you go. Be, yeah, that whole thing. We, we teach it to our children, but it's easy for us to forget it. Whether we like it or not, there's ice everywhere. Whether we like it or not, spiritually, there's a virus everywhere, and it never ebbs and flows. It's always there. So how do we walk carefully in a world that's marked by evil, ultimately because the source behind all of that is Satan, who has one goal, and that is to hurt God in any way possible, and he'll use us in the process. Do you see? So, like, how do we maneuver that thing? And I would argue that this passage gives us two ways to do that. The first way is found in verses 15 to 17, and the last in verses 18 to 21. First way is this. God wants us to walk carefully in evil days by walking wisely. And, and I, I want to unpack what that means. A wise walk entails two things. But let, let's, let's, again, just read it 
I want you to hear what is it. Okay, we know we're not supposed to be unwise. And he uses these, this idea of being unwise and wise several times. So I know I'm not supposed to be unwise. I'm supposed to be wise. But what does wise mean? Okay, so walk wisely. Thanks, Finkbeiner. And that means, right? Do, do you see? And Paul says, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So be very careful then how you walk or live. I'm reading from the NIV here. Uh, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He says, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to be vigilant in your life. Uh, maybe your translation says redeeming the time. Okay? And, and it has the same kind of idea. It is literally the word redeeming. Jesus has redeemed us. He, he has bought us, hasn't he? Out of that. And, and what he says is, when it comes to your daily life, what does it mean for you and I to wake up? And, and, and I, I want to be careful here. Please don't think that I'm explaining that, you know, the way you live your life is you become a workaholic or something like that. Please, I hope you don't hear that. That's not all what I'm saying. Okay? What I am saying is this. Every day we get up, we realize we're in a battle. And every day we get up, we ask ourselves, God, I want to take all the opportunities that you give me in this day. Help me to be sensitive to those. And for your glory, I want to make some opportunities too. In other words, I want to invest today, not waste today. One of the old Greek myths, remember the... Uh, character Kairos uh, was one of, the, I think one of the sons of Zeus or whatever, it doesn't matter. But, but, but apparently he had a, a lock coming out of the forehead. Have you, have you seen that or heard about that? It's a lock coming out of the forehead, but bald everywhere else. And, and what that signified was Kairos was like opportunity. When that opportunity comes, if you don't grab it, you, you know, you try to grab the back of the head, it's too late. It's gone. Once it's by, it's gone. So you got to grab that lock when you can. So life is kind of that way, isn't it? N not where you become paranoid and, and, and you, you, you don't ever believe there's time for recreation because Jesus calls us to pull aside and reflect and, re you know, have times of refreshment. That's all part of wisdom living. I, I get that. But to get up every day and say, God, you've given me today. You haven't given me tomorrow. You've given me today. And, and like Moses said back in, in the Psalms, you know what I want you to do? I want you to number your days. I want you to realize this is an opportunity. You live in a world that Satan is behind and he doesn't like you. And, and temptations and allurements and all these things come into our lives. And he says, I want you to be vigilant. I, I don't want you to get caught off guard, step on the lights and boop, it's gone. No, 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 no. I, I, I want you to get up each day and say, God, let me be vigilant and, 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 and aware and invest in the day that you've given me. It's good stuff, isn't it? I um, normally when wake when I wake up in the morning, I'm just really happy to to stand up and not feel too much pain anywhere. You, you know what I mean? I, I 
And I, I often forget it's a battle today. You know? So I think like, hey, what do I got to do today? Got to take the car in to get it fixed. How much is that going to cost? You know, you know what I mean? All this stuff. Instead of saying, God, yeah, I, I, I got stuff I got to do. Lord, help me to move toward each of that with a sense that this is for you in a world that often is frustrating and against me. Do you see? So if you're going to walk carefully, you want to make the most of every opportunity. You want to be proactive and vigilant as you approach that. Secondly, rather than being unwise, he says this, I want you to understand God's will. Therefore, he says in verse 17, therefore, and literally it says, because of this, and I think the because of this is directly going back to the fact that these are evil days. Because the days are evil, don't be foolish, rather understand what the Lord's will is. So what's that all about? If you track the word God's will, the Lord's will, Jesus' will in this case, through the book of Ephesians, you will find that it deals with two basic things. Understand the will of the Lord. It talks either about the wondrous story of the gospel that he has given us from ages before right through the coming of Jesus Christ. Sometimes he says... This is my will. It's the will of the gospel and the story that I've given you in Jesus Christ. That's his will. That's what God wanted. That's what God did. So sometimes it's just this big sweep. But you know the other way that it's used? When you go over to chapter 6, talking about the relationship between masters and slaves, he says... When you respond the way I want you to respond to this other person, that's my will. So God's will is both this sweeping accomplishment in, in, in all of history. And how Doug Finkbeiner should respond to the guy above him at, at school when I think his decision is crazy. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? I mean it involves both. You know, it's not, it's not just sweeping God's, God's will, it's, it's his will. But it's also Doug Finkbeiner stepping into every situation of life and saying, God, what do you want me to do here? To understand God's will doesn't mean like, oh, I should be a good husband or a good father. Oh, that's it. Cognitively, intellectually, that's a fascinating thing. Huh. Well, anyway, I put that on the shelf and go on to live life. No. And the scriptures to understand is not just to know, it's to apply. Because that's what wisdom is, isn't it? Wisdom is taking truth and applying it to life. And he says, look, if you're going to be careful and not slip on that ice, that virus which encircles you spiritually speaking, what I want you to do is take every opportunity God gives you in life and say, God, let me invest it for the kingdom. And secondly, as you approach each of those things, are you filling your mind with what has God done broadly in his will? What does God want me to do specifically in his will? Does that make sense? Because it's both. 
That's why over in the parallel passage, you probably know this, but Ephesians and Colossians, Paul wrote them at the same time. And so it's often really kind of interesting to read one in light of the other. And one of the things Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, as he's writing to the Colossians, the church of Colossae, he says, I want you to allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. Where you come to this book, I, I, I was with a student this week. We were talking about some things um, come by my office. And, and one of the things he was telling me, he was just saying like, you know, Dr. Finkbeiner, I just, um, I, I've drifted from this book. And, and I, 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 I shouldn't be. I, I, like, I know it. You know, I, I understand how this stuff works. And, 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 you know, we talked and prayed together and stuff like that. But, but, but I thought again. It's easy for me to do that too. Is it easy for you to kind of sit on your laurels sometimes when it comes to God's word? I mean, if I say, hey, we should read God's word, you go like, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, like how many times have you ever heard that one? We should read God's word. Read through the Bible this year. Yeah, and I think it's a great idea. I would just say read. You know, read through the Bible in a year. Great idea, do it. Take the book of Ephesians or Colossians or any book and read it through over the month again and again and again. That's a great idea too. Just read and come to this book and read and stop and ask yourself, God, tell me your story. Because that becomes the ultimate foundation for me to live differently. Wasn't that true in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God said... What is it that you should teach your children? You teach them how gracious and great I am. Tell them the story of redeeming Israel and bringing them out of the land. You tell that in that story. And then you tell them, therefore, this is how you're supposed to live. Do you see? And so when he says, understand the will of God, big story, my story. It's both. This God who has done this, I must read this word and get into this word and ask him in a fresh way again and again, God, overwhelm me with the gospel. So when I hear the cross, it brings a tear, not a yawn. And I, folks, I understand. Believe me. Like I live around this stuff a lot. I teach at a Bible college. Do you know the temptation there to live with a yawn? rather than a tear. So we pray to God, God, overwhelm us with the big story because the better I understand the big story of who you are and what you have graciously done for me in Jesus Christ, it becomes so much easier to move into all my relationships differently. I tell you, if we forget this, we're going to have a hard time with this. It's just the way it works. Am I right? I mean, you know that in your own Christian life. Paul says, look, I want you to walk in a way that's thoughtful and careful. Which means every day of your life when you get up, you're in a battle. You got to see it as a whole series of opportunities to be used. Yeah, but I don't like it when my car breaks down. I don't either. But redeem the time. What does it mean to come at that thing differently because you know Christ? Redeem every opportunity. Take opportunities. Make opportunities. 
And on a consistent basis, find out God's will. Sometimes when we talk about God's will, and I get this one too. Like, Lord, should I buy that car or that car? That house or that house? That job or that job, right? And I would just like the lights to come on and God to go, when I talk about God's will, that's what I'm looking for. That's not normally where it focuses in Scripture. Where it focuses in Scripture is, look at what he's done in Christ. And therefore, move into your relationships and live like this. Would that give us a careful walk? (laughs) Maybe it means I have to start carving out 15 minutes before I go to work or after I get home from work or right after supper. I don't know where you need to do it. Where you just have time where you can pull away and thank God. So I don't know what's best for you. People say, well, should we all do it the same way? No, just do it. How you do it, that's between you and God. But where you are spending time thinking about his will here and here. And that'll make a real difference in our lives. So how do we walk carefully? Walk wisely. Well, how do we walk wisely? Take opportunities that God gives you. Every day is an opportunity to be invested. And go deeper in understanding what it means to know God's will and to do it. It's good stuff. But he doesn't stop there. Because I read those kinds of things and I think to myself, that feels a little bit overwhelming. Not not that I should engage in any of it. I should engage in all of it. Like and 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 by God's grace, we will. We we should. But I need help because I don't often have the 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 motivation. I need help. Uh, Look at what he says next. Verse eighteen. Now in my NIV, it's not there. For they they dropped it for whatever reason. But it literally begins with, with the word and. And I think it's actually pretty significant. And maybe your translation, you have it in there. Verse 18 should start with the word and. Because he's not done yet. He's saying, if you're going to be careful, it means to walk wisely. And it means this. Okay? Look at what he says. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or excess. Rather... Be filled with the Spirit. Um, I've never personally gotten drunk. Okay? And personally, I'm, I'm not even a drinker. And that's not an attack. The Bible is not against Christians drinking. The Bible is against Christians getting drunk. Okay? So personally, I don't drink. But I have a lot of good Christian friends who do. I just don't. But I do love iced tea. I mean, I do love iced tea, okay? Almost to the point where my wife thinks I'm addicted. I'm just saying. So I, anyway, I drink water all day and I look forward to that little bit of iced tea each day. Anyway, I won't get into my, my own personal problems there. Um, but he says, do not, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. And, and just, just a quickie too. Um, You'd have to drink a lot more of wine in antiquity to get drunk than you would in our day. 
too. I mean, it is different. I mean, they, the way they distill it and all today, they're not doing it the same way back then. So there, there are differences. But people could get drunk from wine, or you wouldn't have to say this, right? So hello. So we, we get it. So there, there's other things you could discuss here. But his point is, um, and, and there's, there were some, there has been some scholars that have argued that, uh, because there's some mystery cults that will get you just as drunk as a sailor. And if you're a sailor, sorry, I don't, sorry about the image, but kind of works. It's, anyway, but just to get you as drunk as a skunk, there's another one. Okay, whatever. But just get this person completely drunk, and then they would have them engage in all kinds of strange practices in these mystery religions. And you do have that in the, in, in the ancient world going on at this time. But I don't think he's focusing there primarily because he doesn't talk about it elsewhere in the epistle. I think what he's saying here is this. Something will control you. The question is what? Should it be this outward influence where you engage in drinking enough of this wine where you just completely lose it? Now, although I've never been drunk, I've been with people who are drunk. And it is amazing what comes out of people's mouths sometimes. You're like, man, I never knew that guy. <laughs> what else? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's extremely informative. I do wonder sometimes if they should use it more often for counseling approaches. You might be able to find out what, what some of these guys. I, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even go there. Sorry. I, 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 that wasn't in the script. It just came out. My bad. Anyway, but you all have had that experience, right? Where you're around people and you're like, that person is completely out of control. Jesus says that can only lead to debauchery. You will only eventually enter into either words or practices which you will later regret or should regret. So don't be controlled by this outward influence to do things that will only lead to harm and shame and destruction. Okay, got it. So what should I be controlled by? And his response, be filled by the Spirit. Now, he doesn't say, fill yourself with the Spirit. You just kind of manipulate that thing and you make that whole thing happen. No, no, no. You be filled by the Spirit. At the end of the day, if Doug Finkbeiner is going to change, it's not because I give orders to God. It's because I place myself in a position where I say, God, I want to walk carefully. Man, do I want to make opportunity. I want to make good decisions through my day. I so often don't. I want to know your will and apply it to my life. I, I want to, God. But I don't know how to do it. So he's not just giving us another command. So you tell the Holy Spirit to do that in your... No. You fall down before God and you say, God, I can't. I can't pull this off. I don't know how to change it. I've tried and done, a, done good for a little bit and then failed. I, I can't do it. You place yourself before God and you say, God, will your spirit work in my life in such a way that what you want actually becomes a reality in my life? Because I can't. And every day and every moment of our life, we live with that attitude. The idea of filling in Ephesians 
when it talks about what you're filled with, it mentions two things elsewhere in Ephesians. You're either filled with Christ-likeness, or you're filled to such an extent that God's glory is seen among you and among us as his people. It's used both ways. And I think that's exactly what he's saying here. That prayer back in Ephesians chapter 3, which is all about, I want Christ to be Lord of my life and, uh, and uh, have authority over everything. And I want then just to be with my brothers and sisters who feel the same way so that together God's glory is seen among us. We want to be filled with that, not just individually, but corporately together. God, how can I walk carefully in such a way that Finkbeiner lives this way and Tim Hoff lives this way, and Ryan lives this way, and Kathy lives this way. I don't know, I'm not Ed lives, oh, here we go. I just, but you know what I mean? So that, so that together, we live as Christ in such a way that God says, my glory is being seen through the church at Warren Valley. We can't pull that off by ourselves. But each one of us can place ourselves in a position where we say, God, will you do what only you can do? In my life, in our lives, so that you are glorified and Christ is seen. Do you see? It's, it's, it's not hard to understand. It's impossible to live, <laughs> Right? Apart from his enabling work, it's impossible to live. But with his help, it can become a reality. He goes on then um, in four expressions then to talk about what being filled with the Spirit, what it looks like. And, and, and honestly, scholars debate for what it's worth. I'll just tell you. It's a series of four participles. And don't worry about a participle. It's, just, it's these verbal ideas. But... But what he says is, I, I, some, some scholars will say, well, this is the way that you are filled by the Spirit, so it's means. And others will say, no, no, it's the result of being filled with the Spirit. And I wonder if it just characterizes the whole thing. It is the kind of thing we should be stepping into as we want the Spirit to fill us more. But it's also the picture that we are being filled with the Spirit. So it's a little bit of both. Look at what he says. Be filled with the Spirit. Uh, do not get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And you see, see the word there in verse 19? Speaking. See, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ing word. It's a verbal idea there. But speaking. Go down for just a moment, if you will, to verse um, 19b. Now, my translation has it as a separate sentence. It just says sing. But you could very easily just put the word singing there. So speaking, singing. Verse 20, giving thanks. And verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it gives four characteristics, descriptions of what it looks like when people are yielded to the Spirit in such a way that they say, I want Christ to be central and God the Father to be glorified. Does that make sense? And he says, this is the kind of stuff that gives you evidence that that is happening and that God will use to make it a greater reality in your life. Tim's already mentioned this. I was a little bit afraid when he started out the 
the, the, with us today that he was going to preach my message, but he, he didn't. So thank you. But so here we go again. Okay. Um, look at what he says. These four characteristics of being filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. So even through that, the spirit is working, isn't he? It's a little strange to me. If Paul would have checked with me before he said this, I would have said, Paul, do not say speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Say singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Don't say speaking. You, you, does that make sense? Um, although often you'll find some of these, these great psalms in the Old Testament, you'll actually, it'll say something like, and Moses spoke these words. But here's what I think is really critical there. And one of the things I, I have really appreciated about those who are over our worship here at the chapel is that there's a variety of things that, that shape why we make the decisions we make with psalm selection, song, song selections, because we all have different preferences. I get that. But what drives us above everything else should be the words. If that is not theologically accurate and rich and robust, don't sing it. And I think one of the reasons he says speaking here is because at the end of the day, it is verbalizing the truth that you can then take in and better understand so that God can work is absolutely critical. So you are speaking to one another. And Tim was saying it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should try this sometime. Come in here and put the whole church into a, like a big circle. And when we sing, we're all, we're looking across the way and we, now people will be like, that's weird. I'm not going back to that church. So we're not, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. We're not going to actually do that. But part of the reason why we sing is not only for ourselves, it's for each other. And, and, and and it doesn't mean you put on a show, but it does mean, and I, I don't know about you. Have you not found yourself sitting in a worship service sometimes a little bit down, discouraged? loss of focus and you're singing and you look over and you see him and her singing over there and there and they're raising their hands or they're not. It doesn't matter. What, they're, they're just loving. They're just praising God. Does it not do something in your life? I mean, I mean and, and God says, yeah, that's the way I designed it. It's really important that God's people are together and they're all about communicating truth. In Colossians, it will use the word teaching and admonishing one another, and it, it will just literally mean speaking, and that's it. But here, it's talking about speaking within the context of singing. Whether that's psalms or hymns or spiritual songs, and scholars will try to distinguish what each of those means. The bottom line is there's a place for variety when, we, when it comes to musical choice. We can never sacrifice the theological teaching. And it's all about directing it to him. God says one of the ways in which God does a change in our lives is when we are together and we are singing praises to him around truth. Then he goes on to say says this. So speaking to one another. Singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. I love this because this tells me there's no place for hypocrisy. Could I be sitting up here and thinking to myself as we're singing, 
you know, I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm right in the front row. People are going to be looking at me maybe when we're singing. So how far up should I lift my... Yeah, that's, that's a... Yeah, maybe I'll do it right about... Nah, that'll offend some people. Oh, okay, I'll go there. No, I'm going all out on this one. I mean, what, so what are people... No, right? It's not about impressing people. It's about singing from the heart to the Lord. And however you choose to do that, you're doing it ultimately for him and praying that as you're worshiping him, you're encouraging others to do the same. Do you see? It's all right there. And that is evidence that God is at work in my life. When you gather together, you cannot talk about a church that doesn't gather. You can't. And it's been one of our great struggles through this whole COVID thing, hasn't it? I get that. But, but the church gathers. And from their heart individually singing praises to God, joining hands with others that are doing the same so that we will mutually encourage one another in that work. And then he says this, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm really happy to give thanks to God for some things. But not for everything. You know? And I got a whole list of things like, and I go, oh God, thank you for that, thank you for that, thank you for that. I mean, and we should live that way. But there are some things in my life where I go like, my, my first gut response is not to say, oh God, thank you for what that person just said or did to me. Is it? And it's not because whatever that thing is, is right or wrong, or is, is right. It could be completely wrong. But thank you that even in this moment, you are with me. And that you are up to changing me into the likeness of Christ, even as I face whatever I'm facing from this other individual. Or circumstance. Or loss of whatever. Do you see the difference? We're not, nobody in here is a masochist. Like, I do not like problems. I would like my life to be really easy and die in my sleep. You know, I'm just saying. It's not what God has for us. God in his sovereignty allows things to come into our lives. And he says, Finkbeiner, praise me. Yeah, praise me for the good because it acknowledges who I am. So do that. But do it in everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, because I am accepted in the beloved. And God is always for me. He is never against me in the person of his son. Ultimately. Yeah, I know there can be spats, father and son. I get that. But, but ultimately, even in that, God is for me. So give thanks. You know what that means when it comes to being filled with the Spirit? Because I think it's both part of the way in which God makes that a greater reality and evidence that he is doing that in my life. That means when a very, very difficult situation comes, I begin to learn to give thanks in a way that I haven't before. And I don't do it perfectly. I blow it the next week on the same thing. But incrementally, the Spirit of God starts doing change in my life. 
And I'm able to say, you know, I've seen God over the last couple months do something in my life that is unexplainable any other way but him. Do you know God wants to do the unexplainable in our lives? So that we not only sing from our hearts, even though our hearts may be filled with great pain and sorrow, but that we reach out to our brothers and sisters and we join hands and we worship him. And whatever comes into my life, I'm beginning to learn what it means to depend on God right there so that Christ will be seen and God will be honored. And lastly, but certainly not least, verse 21. Again, it's one, it should be, in, in my translation, it's presented as a separate sentence. I don't think that's best. It literally should say, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and should go back and be directly connected to being filled by the Spirit. Does anybody in here like to submit? I, nobody I've ever met. People say, well, that's easy for you, Finkbinder. You know, you're the husband in the home and Sherry has to submit. Yeah, but I got to go to work. I've never been the head guy at any place where I've ever worked. I've never been the C CEO, CFO, or CCC, whatever OOO they are. I don't know what. You get, you get all these, I mean, it's come guys, I'm a C. Do, do, do. I'm like, what in the world is that? You know, I don't even know. They make all these. I, I've never been a vice president. I've never been the president. I'm always just a faculty member. You know? And so you got decisions coming this way, and people disgruntled here. And so sometimes I try to be a representative up, and I go and I try to explain it. I think I do a really good job unpacking the, the rationale for this and why it's best for the institution and best for our faculty and blah, 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 blah. People listen to me. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we're going to still do it just the way we said before. Mm, but it bugs me, you know? And this text says, Finkbeiner, one way that I want you to learn to depend on the Spirit and, and to evidence the fact that you are is for you to take that information and not when they tell you that, say, oh, praise the Lord, I'm so glad that you didn't agree with me. <laughs> That's weird. I mean, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. Where I'm able to say, you know, I don't agree with you. But God has called me to be part of this team. And so I'm on this team. And I'm, gonna I, I'm not going to manipulate and, and, and misrepresent you to other faculty members like, can you believe what the president said? Or, no, it's not my job. My job is to support the leadership openly and honestly. And so that's what I'm going to do. And to know that I do that, not ultimately because I agree with the president, but because somebody always stands behind the president of my institution. You know who it is? It's Jesus Christ. And in reverence and honor to him, unless they ask me to do something that is sinful and wrong, then I'm going to say, sorry, I'll obey God rather than man. Of course, of course. I'm not talking about that. These are judgment calls. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right. And in those moments, I have to say, you know, Lord, I can leave it with you, Lord. You'll work it out as I submit, as you call me to do it. So we all have to submit to somebody somewhere. And that word submit is used sometimes for the wife's relationship to the husband, sometimes for the slave's relationship to the master, 
for a citizen's relationship to his government. We could talk about the fact that it also applies then to the relationship between a worker and, and his employer. All, all those things. We all submit to somebody in some setting. And it always rubs us the wrong way sometimes. But it becomes one of the clearest evidences of how much I depend upon God. Doesn't it? Can I step there and say my peace openly and honestly to the glory of God and then trust the God who is behind it? Yeah, I can. And I'll leave it with him because God is bigger than them always. Do you see? And that's really easy. It is not easy. Am I right? Every one of us. Is that easy? No, it's not easy. It's hard. But the question is, how big is your God? And this text says, whatever that relationship that you're in, I mean, there's some things here around the chapel. You say, well, you're one of the pastors. Yeah, but there's some things around the chapel where I do not, I, like when Don tells me something, I do as I'm, I'm told, you know, on, on soundboard stuff back there. Like, like what do I know? Or, or my, I, I have no idea what they're doing back there with all the gadgets. I, I would like mess everything up if you put me on it. It'd be, a, it'd be a catastrophe. In those moments, I'm saying, no, what do you, okay, that's what I'll do. Yeah, but you're, no, that's, that's, that's how life works. So when it says submitting to one another, it means all of us are under others in different ways and in different roles at different times. And wherever we find ourselves in that relationship, doesn't make us less of a person or any of that stuff. It's just where we are. But what I have to always remember is, although I'm under that guy there at the institution, whatever the case may be, he is always under God. And I can trust him when I don't agree with him. Does that make sense? One of the greatest evidences of the work of the Spirit in our lives is how we respond in those areas. Not easy. But God can do that work if we'll let him. In a way that we can look back over a period of time and say, God is at work. Okay. Now, there's all kinds of other what about, what abouts that we could get into. I, I get that with, with each one of these. But the attitude we have in this, I think, is really important. Which is always seeing that God is bigger than this. And that helps to give us perspective. So, how do, we, uh, how do we watch the ice? How do we manage the virus, the spiritual virus, the evil day in which we live? We walk wisely. Which means we see life as an investment and not as, not as something to waste. And we see life as founded on the importance of being overwhelmed afresh with the wonder of the will of God, both, both broadly and specifically in my own life. And it means that I'm depending on God's spirit to do what only he can do in making me more like Christ to the glory of God. 
as I come together with God's people and do what he's called me to do in worship, individually and corporately. Praise him for all anything in my life, not because of the situation, but because of the God who stands behind the situation. And learning to submit, even when I disagree, over non-sinful issues, knowing that God is bigger than any of those situations. I tell you, if each of us begins to experience that at a greater level in 2022, this will be a different church. Our lives will be different. Incrementally, slowly, we won't be perfect. There's going to be setbacks. I get it. It's life. But God can do something that only God can do if we'll let him. Father, help us to be careful how we walk. Lord, help us to also realize that none of it will, can possibly happen apart from your enabling grace as we're yielded to your spirit to make us more like your beloved son. Lord, I don't, I don't know where my brothers and sisters struggle in this area, but I know that we all have specific addresses where we live, specific things that we struggle with, relationships that we're struggling over. Father, would you help us to take the next step in experiencing the wonder of the gospel lived out in the lives of believers who have already experienced the gospel. And Father, for that, we will be eternally thankful. In Christ's name I pray, amen. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless faith this gift of love Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live 
his body lay light of the world by darkness lay then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me to yourself and uh, I pray that you do that this week thank you for this time that we're able to worship in Christ's name we pray amen have a nice week everybody